0: currently going through a series entitled I'm thankful but I'm thankful but we've covered a couple of different topics we've talked about how I'm thankful but I'm lost I'm thankful but I'm lonely I'm thankful but I'm angry today we're going to talk about a good one today we're going to talk about I'm thankful but I'm comparing and I don't know about you but I just think that nothing will rob your gratitude more than comparison In fact, there's a youth leader here. She was actually leading worship up here today. Her name is Jessica Waddell. We actually work together. I work for a Bible college here in the local area, and she works literally in the cubicle right next to me. And I was like, Jess, I'm going to start. I'm going to preach this Sunday. I'm going to preach on comparison. She's like, oh, my God, I actually wrote a poem on it. And I was like, I'm going to share your poem. So she said it to me. I thought it was so good. I want to read you the poem that she wrote on comparison. Really short but powerful. Here's what she said. A heart full of comparison will never know compassion. Eyes that inspect, analyze, and criticize will forever remain unsatisfied. A mouth that only speaks of disdain will always produce a destructive pain. Leave the poison of comparison completely behind and let God transform your heart, your soul, and your mind. Let's give a big round of applause for Jessica Waddell. She is awesome. Alright, well I'm ready to preach. You guys ready to get into this? If you got your Bibles, can you lift up your Bibles in the air? Let me see what you're working with. Amazing. Bibles with pages. I see some glow-in-the-dark Bibles too. Amazing. So good. If you can, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Book of Hebrews is an incredible book in the Bible. It's in uh, the New Testament. Uh, Some theologians don't know. There's debate. Ganesh, good to see you, bro. I love you, man. Uh, some theologians debate uh, as to who is the author of the book of Hebrews. I personally believe that the writer of the book of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul, just because some of the language that we see here is very sim- uh, familiar to some of the languages that he uses in his other passages that he's written. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. You guys there? Yeah. Come on, if you're there, say amen. Yeah. Amazing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It's powerful. It's powerful. When we read this, like, let's not read it like a bumper sticker. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, I want you to focus on the language here, because the language here is really important. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. and And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What an interesting concept. That God has designed a race. He's designed a lane. He's designed a plan and a purpose that only you are called to run. How do we run this race? I love the rest of the verse. This is what he says in in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Another translation says the champion. This translation says the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I want to read to you one more verse found in First Samuel chapter eighteen, verses five through nine, found in the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible. You don't have to go there; they're going to put it up on the screens. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all of the towns of Israel to meet. King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with tambourines and flutes. The Bible had groupies. Verse seven. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displays, displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. A close eye on David. Let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to move this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in a powerful way, that you would speak to all of us today. And Jesus, that you would help me communicate this have your way here tonight speak to us give us ears to hear you a heart to receive you hands to serve you may you come breaking chains tonight that you would give us a revelation of your son and it's in Jesus name all of God's people say Amen. come on all of God's people say Amen. come on can you give God one shout of praise this morning amazing all right so we just finished reading two bible passages now I really want you to keep in mind these Bible passages because we have to see that these passages actually work in parallel. So in Hebrews chapter 12, which is the first verse that we read, we see that the Apostle Paul pens down so beautifully and he says, Hey, I want you to know that God has a lane, God has a race, God has a purpose and a plan that he has designed for you. So how do we run this race? He continues to say, And the way that you run this race is simple. It's by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Now, we got to pay attention to the other verse in 1 Samuel, the Old Testament, because even though they were written hundreds of years apart, they're parallel verses. Because in 1 Samuel, we see the story of a king by the name of Saul. And the story goes that Saul, at one point, was the king of Israel. He was doing amazing things, but we see what happens in his life when he begins to compare himself By removing his eyes from God and putting his eyes on David. I got a question for you tonight. In fact, this question is the title of my message. Who are you racing? Who are you racing? If you've ever seen a race before in track and field, you would see that the runners, that they line up at the starting block. And it always starts the same way. There's an announcer that he has a little gun in his hand. He points it up in the air, and he says what? He says, on your mark, get set, go. Can you say that with me? On your mark, get set, go. One more time. On your mark, get set, go. This is really interesting because I really believe That one of the reasons that we have a difficult time finding the purpose that God has for our life and running in the race that God has for our life isn't because we're starting on our mark, but it's because we're starting on their mark. In fact, the race that some of us are trying to run, we have a bad perspective because we're not looking at our starting point, we're looking at somebody else's starting point. So, my question for you today, I gotta ask you again is who are you racing? Come on, who are you racing this morning? How many of you guys would say by a show of hands that you enjoy working out? You enjoy working out? All my fit people, CrossFit. Okay, I see Renata. She's in the gym like five times a week, five times a day actually. Um, what about this? Honest people, work with me here. How many of you guys would say that you do not enjoy working out? You do not enjoy? Okay, I got to be honest with you. I, have, I appreciate your honesty. Now more than lately, I have started to identify with the second group of people. Like, I am not, like, super passionate about working out the way that I was before. You know, I got married. I gained 15 pounds. The struggle is real. I heard the first 15. It's a true story. Look it up. It's crazy. And and for me, like, working out, I just didn't become really consistent with working out. But I reached a point in my life where I was like, you know what? I got to get consistent. So I got a gym membership not too long ago at this gym called Shula's. Now, Shula's is a beautiful gym. It's located in the Miami Lakes area. It has, like, a private feel I mean, it's amazing. The only reason why I signed up for this gym, it's very expensive. The only reason I signed up for this gym is because my friend is the membership director and he gave it to me for free, so I was like, holla at your boy. So I signed up. So I stopped. I now, I, I got to tell you this. I, I, was very, I was very excited. I was very excited to start at this gym. Now, the reason that I was excited is because I started to recognize people in this gym. Now, the people in this gym were people that I used to go to high school with 10 years ago. Now, here's what you got to know about me in high school. In high school... I wasn't the coolest guy. Like, in high school, I know it's hard to believe. I'm kidding. In in high school, I wasn't the coolest guy. I was about 100 pounds soaking wet. If you turn me sideways, I look like a zipper. Like, I was was that kid. Now, what you have to know about my high school is that my high school was an athletic school. So, the guys that would go to this school, they would look like they were in their 30s and they had beards. I'm still trying to grow a beard. It's been 10 years later and, and I can't. And I can't grow one. So, so when I saw that these guys were there, I thought, "Oh my gosh, they're going to compliment me." Mike, my goodness, you look so different. You look so—you've gotten bigger. You've gotten stronger. Your legs look bigger. Like everything. Like you just look. But I didn't hear any compliments. So it's okay. I, I, I lost a little bit of confidence. Now, a couple of weeks later, I get approached by this guy who's a personal trainer. Now. This personal trainer, he tries to butter me up. He he goes, Mike, bro, I'm seeing the way that you're working out and you're amazing. Your form is so good. Everything about what you're doing, it's incredible. But hey, but this is what I wanna do for you. I wanna invite you to my group training class and it's a free class. The first one is free. You don't have to just show up and be a part of this group. And I said, there's no weights involved. He goes, no, there's no weights involved. It's a cardio burn session. I thought, my God, I'm gonna kill this. I'm a weightlifter. This is gonna be a breeze. So, so I, show, I show up to this workout. I show up to this workout. Immediately, I become fearful. The reason I become fearful is because there is no weight. It's a gym unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's a warehouse with turf, with bars, with wires, and every single workout was a body weight workout. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that that morning, I died. <laughs> that was the most intense workout I've ever experienced in my... Now, now, I have to tell you that one of the reasons that the workout was so difficult, I really believe, is because I made the workout more difficult than it should have been. Now, what you have to understand is that I am... Remember, this is a group setting, and I am extremely competitive. Competition, baby, runs in my DNA. Like, I was an athlete growing up, like, competition was in my DNA. Now, there's this pastor. His name is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley says that in the comparison game that most people live in the land of Ur. We all want to be taller, we want to be quicker, we want to be faster, we want to be skinnier. Here's my response. I don't live in the land of Ur, I live in the land of Est. I want to be the greatest, the fastest, the tallest, the biggest, the strongest, the best-est. I want to be be the absolute, I want to be the absolute. So if somebody in my group was doing 100 sit-ups, I was going to do 101. If someone in my group was doing 25 push-ups, I was going to do 26. At the end of the workout, we had to do a cardio burn session where we all lined up on treadmills, and we all had to run as fast as we can for as long as we could, and I stayed on that treadmill until everybody else came off. As soon as I got off of the treadmill, I laid down on the turf, and I woke up an hour later. (laughs) It was excruciating pain. At the end of the workout, we all get together. We're standing in a group and the trainer's going around saying, hey, how was your workout? How was your workout? I told him, bro, I threw up four times in my mouth. I'm never working out with you again. (laughs) And then, but but I have to be honest with you. I gotta tell you what my group consisted of and you're gonna judge me because I was competing against this group of people. It was me, true story, and four moms. (laughs) (laughs) But they were hardcore moms. like biceps and triceps. I mean, come on, moms, you guys are amazing, strongest people in the universe. Let's give a big round of applause to all moms. It's funny, because this morning at the 9 a.m. session, I was like, let's give a big round of applause to all single moms, and, all, and, and the lady said, why, it just gotta be single moms, what about all moms? So all moms, <laughs> we love you guys. But, but here's, here's, here's what I discovered, that I made the race more difficult I made my workout more excruciating and more painful simply because I was looking to my left and to my right and competing with people that I should never be in competition with. So instead of running on my pace, I was running on their pace. Can I ask you a question? Who are you racing? Like, who, who are you looking at? Like, who's, uh, like who are you, who, whose race are you looking at? What person are you looking at? What lane are you focusing that isn't your lane? Whose purpose and whose plan are you focusing that is not your lane? I think a lot of us, the reason that we compare is simply because we're looking to our left and to our right. Now, now here's what you got to understand today. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Come on, babe. We loved our apartment until we saw that our friends built a brand new home on Melbourne Beach, Florida. I hated our apartment when I saw the house that they built. Like, I was scrolling through Instagram, I saw that they built built this brand new home on a lot that we bought five minutes away from the beach. Hashtag bless. I was like, I'm gonna hashtag go to your house and burn it down. Like, I was was angry. Now, now, I I think right now, like, we live in a world where social media makes it easy to compare. Hello, social media. It's easier to compare me through the media when all I gotta do is take out my phone and just scroll while I'm enjoying my trip in Orlando, but then I see that you took a three-month trip to freaking Fiji. <laughs> but I'm in Orlando. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm preaching to myself this morning. And I think the reason that I'm preaching to myself this morning is simple is because when I look to my left and when I look to my right, I start comparing my life to other people. Yeah. Here's what you got to know about comparison. Comparison will either make you feel superior or inferior and neither pleases God. Yeah. Tweet that. I'll at your boy. Yeah. Like, it'll make you feel superior or inferior. Like you just got a brand new car, you're strolling in your car, looking out the window, someone's got an old car. It just makes you feel better. You know? or, or maybe somebody just built a house on the beach and you just rented an apartment and now you feel inferior. Can I tell you, I learned this, that comparison is the number one killer of my destiny. Yep. Wow. Can I tell you the enemy's plan for your life? The enemy's plan, I want you to know that we have a God in heaven who loves us, but we have a devil who wants to destroy us. And he wants to bring mass destruction to your life. And the way that he brings mass destruction to your life, it's simple, is by bringing mass distraction to your life. And the way that he distracts you is with comparison. Because if you can compare yourself, you will destroy yourself. I love the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is amazing. I love reading through his letters. I mean, come on, you guys got, got to pick up the Bible. He wrote the the two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, what this guy pens down is so rich and so beautiful, especially even when he's correcting churches because there's this church in Corinth that he's correcting on comparison. And look at what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. They're going to put it up on the screens. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wives. The Apostle Paul is saying, you are crazy, you are dumb, you are ignorant, you are cuckoo if you are comparing your life to somebody else. Yeah. But if we're honest, it's easy to compare, right? Yeah. Like if you're in Miami, you know what traffic is like in Miami. Yeah. Haven't you noticed on the Palmetto Expressway, when there's traffic, it always feels like everybody else's lane is moving except yours? <laughs> so what do you do? You almost wreck your car trying to get in somebody else's lane because you wouldn't stay faithful to your lane. And I feel like my assignment from God today is this, is to remind you that you need to stay in your lane, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't keep your eyes on the left, don't put your eyes on the right, just stay faithful to the lane that God has you in. Because when you drive in that lane, you will see God do amazing things in your life. Listen, comparison will cloud the clarity of God's calling on your life. Comparison will blind you to the thing that God wants to do in your life. Yeah. It will remove your vision. Vision, it's, it's just, if you don't have it, it, you will live a destructive life without vision. Yeah. And what comparison does is that it clouds, it clouds your vision. Yeah. Can I tell you, if you ever want to be confused about your calling, just compare yourself to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you ever want to be confused about your calling, just compare yourself to someone else. Because if you compare yourself to other people, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that there will be a crash in your future. Because you were driving and you weren't looking ahead, you were looking to the left and to the right. You know, it's, it's no wonder why Saul ended up the way that he ended up. Because Saul, remember 1 Samuel, he had a crash in his future simply because he was looking to his left and looking to his right. And instead of putting his eyes on God, he put his eyes on David. Now, here's what you got to understand about Saul. Saul, at one point, was actually living a really good life. Like, there was a point in time where Saul was faithful to his lane, where he was faithful to his race, where he was faithful to the thing that God had called him to do. In fact, the Bible says that God chose him, that God anointed him to be king. The Bible says that Saul walked like a king, that he talked like a king, that he spoke like a king, that he looked like a king. The Bible even says that Saul was good looking. Come on, if the Bible says you're good looking, nobody can call you ugly. (laughs) Like the Bible says that Saul was attracted, that he was just, that he was, that he was good, that he was good looking. But it's crazy because Saul became so blinded by the fact that he was king that he forgot to worship the one true king. So the king of kings removed the earthly king from his earthly throne because he has lost sight of who the king really is. Wow. Wow. And now this is where we this is where we meet David. Because David is different. David was a boy who was living across town. In fact, David was he he was the outcast in his family. He was the reject in his family. He was the guy in his family that nobody wanted. But you got to love David because David, he wasn't obsessed with position. He wasn't obsessed with with power or with authority. David was just obedient. In fact, his family rejected him so much that all of a sudden they were in the military, which was a a high-ranking, important thing at that time. But they told David, hey, this is what you're going to do. We're going to just go to this field and take care of our sheep. Like, don't worry about it. Just go to this field, take care of our sheep, don't worry about anything else. Story goes that one day, David's dad approaches David in the field. And he goes, hey, David, hey, what you're doing right now really isn't that important. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some bread and some cheese. Take these grilled cheese sandwiches to your brother, who right now are at their military camp getting ready to go into battle. So because David is obedient to his father, he says, okay. He gets the bread, he gets the cheese, he walks over to the military camp, and then he sees something that just catches him by surprise. Because as he's on this military camp, he notices that a guy, a warrior from the Philistine army, the enemy, would come to his brother's camp every day for 40 days and for 40 nights and would berate them would abuse them, would mock them, would make fun of them. In fact, every single day, he would say, I challenge one of you guys to come and fight me. No one here is going to, and nobody from the Israelite army stood up to fight this guy named Goliath. In fact, the Bible says that Goliath was massive. The Bible says that he was a giant, like huge. Like, in fact, theologians and scholars say that it's possible that Goliath possibly even reached nine feet tall, which is true world's tallest man was 9'5", massive. So Goliath, he was a warrior, massive, huge. David shows up to the camp, and he's like, hey, you know what? This isn't going to happen on my watch. So David gets a sling. He fills a sling. By the way, the sling was an old military weapon that was used back then, and he fills it with rocks. And he begins to turn this sling around, launches a stone, and it hits Goliath right on the forehead. Kills Goliath, and Goliath falls. Now, here's what you got to understand about David. David is so gangster that after Goliath dies, he takes out his sword and cuts his head off. Like, like, just to make the situation more dramatic and more intense. And he launches the stone, hits Goliath right on the head, and Goliath falls. It's crazy because the moment that Goliath fell was the moment that David rose. David was trending on Twitter. He was all over Instagram. He was all over Facebook. He was on ESPN, MSN, NBC, TBN, Daystar, HIJK, Elemental He was on. He was on every. He was on every single news station on the face of the planet. I mean, David was the man. David was the was the world's first rock star. <laughs> Thank you so. God bless you guys. I mean, I mean, come on. David was, man, that was so good. David, <laughs> David, he was, listen, he was all over the internet. This guy was, David had groupies. Rockstar had groupies who would walk into city and women would sing songs about David. I mean, it was a Broadway production when David would walk into the city of Israel. It was crazy, the women that were singing the song. David, well, Saul, Saul killed thousands, but David he killed tens of thousands. I mean, the song that, I mean, it was a Broadway, I don't know how they sing the song. Saul killed thousands. David killed ten thousands. I mean, it was a crazy, bro. And this Saul hears the song. And imagine, immediately, a song hears the song. His heart is filled with bitterness, anger, and disdain. Because Saul went from running his race like this to running his race like this with his eyes fixed on David. Now, today, Saul serves as a case study of what happens when you let comparison enter your heart. Because I want to tell you today that comparison will always be the beginning to your end. So I ask you again, who are you racing? Hmm. So how do you run this race well? Because God has given you a lane, God has given you a race, but the question is how do we run, how do we run this race well? The answer is found in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for God's word. Like, this is my my daily dose. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what it says. It says, and let us run this race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Listen, the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us. How do you run your race? Well, Point one, run in your lane. Stay in your lane. Come on, look at your neighbor, say, stay in your lane. Look at your other neighbor, say, stay in your lane. You know, what's interesting is that a lane is usually made up of two lines. There's a line on this side, and right here, sound effects, makes the whole thing better, right here, line, right, line. There's, there's two lines. There's There's two lines that God has designed in your life, and you are called to run within the parameters of those lines. Interestingly enough, your life is made up of two lines. There's a duality to your life. Your life is made up of two purposes. I want to let you know that, number one, there's a universal purpose that God has for you. The universal purpose is simple. is that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus. That you would love like Jesus, that you would talk like Jesus, that you would walk like Jesus, that you would be like Jesus, that you would be God's representative here on earth, that you would live a life that looks like Jesus, that you would walk down the street and people would say there's something different about you. You walk different, you talk different, there's an aura about you. Your life, your number one calling is to be like Jesus. Maybe you're saying, I don't know what my calling is. I just told you. It's to be like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. Talk. Now, there's another, there's another line. There's another destiny. There's another purpose, and that is God's unique destiny and unique purpose for your life. I want to let you know that aside from the universal plan, there is a specific plan. God doesn't do anything at random. Like, you are not random. Like, God has chosen you and selected you to answer a problem here on this earth. There is a calling that you have that only you can solve. Can I tell you, the world is full of problems. The answer to the problems is God's plan. You are God's plan. Yeah, no one else can do what you can do. Yeah. You know what's even better? That God gave you everything that you need to do the thing that he's called you to do. Yeah. Everything that you need to, to do what God has. Like he has packed you with the power of his Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and began to fill up all the followers and all the believers of Jesus. And with the Holy Spirit came supernatural gifts that God has put on the inside of you so that you can see God move through you. God doesn't just want to do something for you. God doesn't just want to do something in you. God wants to do something through you. The Holy Spirit is like a river, and when it breaks out, it changes the geography of our landscape. Some of us, we just need to let it break out so you can walk in the calling that God has called you to live in. So today, I think we need to make a decision. I think some of us, we need to stop complaining about what we don't have. Right? Like, let's start praising the master for what we do have because he's made us a masterpiece. Come on, Michelangelo, couldn't touch you. Leonardo da Vinci, couldn't make you. You're so unique. You're so intrinsic. You're so special. Yeah. There's something so unique about you that only a creator could have put his hands on you to create you and make you. You are God's unique plan. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do The good things that he has planned out for us long ago. Come on. God has a plan for your life. But it's still easy to compare. Now, now I think what we need to do, remember, Saul is our case study. Saul shows us how comparison is extremely easy. You remember the song that they made for David, right? Saul kills a thousand. David kills 10,000. David hears this song and automatically he's filled with bitterness and he's filled with anger. And look at the response. Look at the response that Saul has to this song. This is what he said. He goes, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me? With only thousands? But me? With only thousands? Thousands? Comparison always starts with a but-me attitude. Oh, yeah. Have you ever met but-me people? Yeah. But-me people are like, oh my gosh, that's so great, that's, you know, it's going so good for you, but what about me, have you seen what I'm doing? These are the one-up people, like, hey, I'm taking a trip to Orlando, oh, good for you, that's cute, I'm taking a cruise to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 these are, these are the but-me but people, are the type of people that will get everybody else, everybody else's circumstance and somehow connected and make it about them, yeah. but-me people. In fact, I wanna give you an illustration. This right here, this is a butt me mirror. And I, feel like, and I feel like the problem with a butt me attitude is that the only person that you see is yourself. And when you're looking at yourself, it's impossible to see the lane that God has for you. Because how do we run our race? We learned in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that the way that we run our race is how? Not by looking at myself, but looking at Jesus. So I just want to apologize right now. I want to apologize to everybody who's watching live right now in the audience. I want to apologize to everyone who's watching on the cameras right now because I'm so blind by my butt me attitude that I might fall off this stage because I can't see the lane that God has for my life. I think it's time that we put down the butt me, yeah. the butt me mirror. Yeah. Stop looking at it. Come on, but it's easy. Come on, it's, it's easy to hold up this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's super simple. Like, come on, God, you healed that person, but what about me, God? What about my sickness? God, her kids are in church, God. But what about my kids? God, they just bought a house. God, I give you tithes, offerings, every single week. Heart for the house. I'm faithful to my giving, and I'm still living. God, what about me? My family is... Their family is doing great. But what about me, God? Oh, God, I I see that you're using that person to do amazing things. But what about me, God? I think today we got to make a decision to... Put down the butt me mirror. How do you do that? Point two, you got to realize what you got. You got to realize what you, what you do have. Listen, I know you don't have everything you want. I know you don't have the car of your dreams. I know right now you're not married yet. I know right now you don't have a kid yet. I know right now you're not making the money that you want to make yet. I know right now that you're sad, you're unsatisfied, you're unfulfilled. I know that right now you see everybody around you who's excelling in life. But listen, today you need to make a decision. The decision that you need to make is simple. The decision that you need to make is am I going to continue to look at what I don't have or am I going to thank God for everything I do have? Because we have a God who's done a lot. I mean, come on, what about just for for starters? Come on, can we just start simple? What about the fact that we live in the United States of America? Like, hello! Where we can worship God in freedom? Come on, people are always complaining, but come on, let's not complain. Come on, we live in the best country in the world. I'm not trying to be political, I'm just trying to let you know that we're blessed. Come on, what about your family? What about we start thanking God for our family? I know some of us, we got weird family members. That weird cousin's going to show up on Thanksgiving Day. But listen... We're thankful for our family. We're thankful. Come on, what about our church? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, God, for this church. Because my, fam- my friends, they've become my, my family. Yeah. What about just to put the cherry on top of everything that God has done? What about salvation? Yeah. Yeah. What about the fact that God has saved us? That God has redeemed us? That God has chosen us? Ladies and gentlemen, if God never does another thing again, he's already done enough when he stretched out his arms on the cross. For my sin and for your sin. Today, you got to make a decision. I feel like here's a simple exercise. Go home tonight, after lunch, take out a journal, and write a gratitude list. Five things that you're grateful for. Can I tell you? That, that gratitude is the number one cure for comparison. Yep. It is impossible to compare when you're full of gratitude. Yep. I might not have everything that I want, but come on, thank God I got everything that I need. Yes. My life is okay. My life is in his hands. Yeah. So how do, I, how do I stay focused on, on my lane? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Simple. Simple. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Point three, I'm coming to the close. How do, you keep your, how do you stay in your lane? Keep your eye on Jesus. Keep your eyes on God. It is impossible to follow God while comparing yourself to somebody else. Because God cannot bless who you pretend to be. God can only bless who you were created to be. So take your eyes off of other people and put them on God. Today, you need to make a decision that you're going to maximize the potential and the gifts that God has placed inside of you. Because I want to let you know that there is a gift, there is an anointing, there is a power on the inside of you. There's a skill, there's a talent. Maybe you're you're a teacher. I want to tell you, you're not just a teacher. You are God's representative in the educational field so the world can see what teachers look like in a classroom. Listen. You're not just a businessman. You're not just a businessman. You are God's representative in the business world so the world can see what it would look like if Jesus did business. Hello? You're not just a Starbucks barista. You are God's representative in the coffee bean world so people can see what Jesus would look like if he were serving the double mocha chocolate frappuccino. (laughs) Come on, do you hear what I'm saying? Come on, you're God's representative in that place, so keep your eyes on Jesus. So why do we compare? I got to be honest with you. It's because we're sinful. Meaning, listen, sinful in today's society, it's a very derogatory word. It's not derogatory. Really what it means is that we're broken, that all of us, that we are, we are broken. We have holes on the inside of our soul. And the Bible says that, actually, there was a theologian who once said, if there is a God-shaped hole inside of every human heart, and the only person who can fill that hole is Jesus. Listen, drugs can't fill it, can't fill it, sex can't fill it, alcohol can't fill it, your career can't fill it, money can't fill it, cars can't fill it. The only person who can fill it is Jesus. It's the only one. Come on, have you ever ever done a puzzle piece and you're trying to figure out the puzzle and you're trying to jam a piece into a place where it doesn't go? And this is what happens in our life. We're just trying to jam portions. We're trying to get external wins, external accomplishments to fill the hole that's in our heart. And the only one who can fill your hole is, listen, listen to me. You are not created on earth to be satisfied by earthly things. You were created so that you can be satisfied by something and someone in heaven, and his name is Jesus. So, so here's my question. Will you open up your heart today to have a relationship with God? Will you let him fill in the areas of void and the areas of pain so that you can live a life of fulfillment? Come on, if you can, why don't you stand to your feet for me?